Boraway Army and fellow music fans, I'm Kayla. And I'm Bethany, and we're the hosts of Standing BTS from the Consequence Podcast Network. We're a bi-weekly show that covers the impact and legacy of K-pop group BTS. We mix the perfect blend of research and fangirl as we take a deep dive into lyrics during album reviews, theorize over music videos, and keep up with their current events. No BTS topic is off limits. We welcome everyone into the conversation, whether you're a casual fan, committed ARMY, or someone who's just curious about one of the biggest music groups in the world. Come chat with us every other Thursday with a new episode wherever podcasts are found. Consequence Podcast Network. Cypress Hill's first album was very of its time and place. And that time was the early 1990s and the place was Southgate, California. Southgate and the greater Los Angeles area were, at least in hip-hop circles, known for their aggressive brand of rap and rappers, lowrider car culture, and a simmering of racial and law enforcement tension. And all of that swirled around and made Southern California at the dawn of the last century's last decade where some of the best music of the era was allowed to break through to the mainstream. Cypress Hill's sound was a big old swirl in and of itself. DJ Muggs laid down beats and melodies that were drawn from funk and soul, dance and jazz and hard rock. And it was the absolute perfect foundation for the voices and bars of Send Dog and Be Real. Two MCs that sounded like an agitated bulldog made friends with an extraordinarily angry Horshack from Welcome Back, Cotter. That's a show from the 70s. The unique, the the sonically fascinating combination, they were delivered to ears through the pimped-out subwoofers of the classic cars their neighborhoods were quickly becoming famous for, but also through the very tinny speakers of the first cars of young people around the world who gravitated to this crew of talented friends and Latin linguists. Cypress Hill spoke to and for people who felt as much a need to protest injustice as they felt the need to kick back, light one, and party. In this episode of The Opus, we're venturing into Cypress Hill's time and place into the atmosphere that made their debut album important, necessary, everywhere. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Jill Hopkins, and this is The Opus. Let's get into it. Southgate, California. It's about seven miles from downtown LA to the south. So, you know, like the better part of an hour in LA traffic. It's a blue collar place. Lots of folks white flighted out of there in the 70s, making room for Hispanic families and Latino families to move in. And the area became largely Hispanic and Latin American by the 1990s. You know how it goes. Ain't that America? 
Speaking of America, before Cypress Hill came along, Southgate's most famous musical son was Lee Greenwood. Yeah, that Lee Greenwood. Proud to be an American, Lee Greenwood. Republican politician serenader Lee Greenwood. CPAC VIP Lee Greenwood. I'm just going to go ahead and say that his Southgate experience and Cypress Hill's Southgate experience were very different. In fact, Sendog will paint a picture of Cypress Hills. I grew up in Southgate, California, and it, it was considered like a lower, a lower middle class neighborhood in, in those days. I was always the type that I just like having my friends around. And we were just always hanging out. And my house was kind of like the center for all the activity that, that came out. So, you know, we would be in front of the house, you know, 15, 20 deep some nights, sometimes more, drinking 40 ounces and, you know, throwing up joints and whatnot. And, you know, occasionally every now and then the Southgate police would sweat us, but it was nothing that, you know, we, we weren't worried about them, you know. I had a, an interesting group of friends because somewhere in the late 80s around there, there was a lot, of, a lot of gang problems. And a lot of the guys that hung out on my block were from different gangs that if they saw each other on the street, it might be a different situation. But on my block, everybody came and, you know, kind of like checked their hat and coat at the door type of thing. And it was a cool thing, you know. It was very fun. You know, we had a, a really good hangout thing going there. And I think that's why we, you know, we named the band after our block. And, and you know, we're very proud to be from that city and that block. There's a special thing that happened there in those years before we turned professional that, that we could never forget. That kind of atmosphere, that kind of cool thing wasn't unique to Southgate or even Los Angeles. The part of Chicago that I grew up in had a very similar vibe. Across town, though, on the north side of Chicago, brothers Rod Stars and G1 from hip-hop group Rebel Diaz were discovering it at the same time that I was, in 1991, in a way that a lot of us discover music were probably way too young to be listening to on our own. They got it from their older siblings. Here's Rod Stars. Yeah, so we, we have an older brother. It's, it's three of us, you know what I'm saying? And so the, the older bro, he used to always come home with music. And I'm talking about tapes. This is not even CD. We're still talking about tapes here. And so I remember he brought he brought the Cypress Hill tape home. And it was crazy because I remember, at, like, being young, it was one of the first tapes that I really heard. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you like at that age, you're not really bumping a whole album or whatever. But I remember my brother brought around, there's three tapes that I remember he brought around. He brought The Chronic. Mm -hmm. He brought Low End Theory from Tribe, which was, you know what I mean, we bumped that like crazy. And he had uh, the Cypress Hill joint. And I remember because of the, you know, How I Could Just Kill a Man was like a crazy song. And then I remember Saw It Off Shotgun, Hand on the Pump as a kid. I, I don't know why, like I gravitated towards that, like, you know, like that those lyrics. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. It was crazy. Songs about drive-bys and blunts and all of that psycho stuff was bonkers just to hear in the world if you were in middle school or junior high. Wearing a Cypress Hill t-shirt was very edgy for us kids. We felt very badass. And we were from a big city. We knew and loved people who lived lives like Sen and Be Real and Mugs. But that ish was still wild as hell. I couldn't imagine being from not a city and hearing about this life through this music for the very first time. 
learning about a whole culture through hip hop. Another whole culture, I should say. See, hip hop had been around for just long enough that it had made its way into the even most, let's say, sheltered communities in the U.S., And while it still hadn't become ubiquitous like it is now and country artists hadn't started lifting elements of it for chart success, it had become big enough that it was a legitimate worry for sheltered parents. And that worry fueled the newly found curiosity and rebellion amongst those sheltered kids. So people like that had just found out about the kinds of lives that New York rappers had told about And West Coast hip-hop was very much the lifestyles of black Americans. But the lives of Latinos and Hispanics in hip-hop had very few voices at that point. This is a good place, I feel, to give a real quick explainer about the difference between Hispanic and Latino. Because language and learning are fun. Hispanic usually refers to people with a Spanish language background. And Latino is typically used to identify people who hail from Latin America. You can be either, or you can be both. Zendog and Be Real are both. People with Cuban and Mexican heritage are both. So, one of the voices of Hispanic and Latino hip-hop in the 90s and late 80s was that of Mellow Man Ace. Check this out, baby. Tenemos tremendo lío. Last night you didn't go a la casa de tu tío. Resulta said, hey, you were out. Ace had a big hit in 1990, the year before Cypress Hill's first album was released. Mentirosa went to 14 on the Billboard Hot 100 and spent 24 weeks on the charts. It eventually went gold and just made it onto the Billboard year-end Hot 100 singles of 1990 at number 99. So, Cypress Hill had good reason to look to him as a trailblazer. But the fact that he'd actually left Cypress Hill to set off on his solo career was a better reason. And the fact that Meloman Ace was Sendog's brother was maybe the best reason. But Aces was one of just a few Latino or Hispanic hip-hop artists at the time, and perhaps was the only one who was rapping bilingually. Well, if you don't count Gerardo and Rico Suave. So the stories just weren't getting to all the ears that were wanting to hear them. The same young people who had just become interested in the lives of the MCs and DJs they'd become privy to with their prior releases we're now getting a whole nother point of view. One of those sheltered young people was Hollywood Steve Huey of AllMusic.com in the Channel 101 web series Yacht Rock. Yeah, Hollywood Steve likes hip-hop. Deal with it. He helped me understand the impact of songs like How I Could Just Kill a Man on a small town's music fans. When you're growing up in a small college town that's 90% white, according to Wikipedia, you don't really have a sense of the reality of like a southern california lowrider culture it's just it's it's very abstract it's something that happens in movies and music videos if at all but you know you you have a sense that something else is out there somewhere it's just it's just so far away that it might that it may as well not even be real 
Be real. See what uh, I do. <laughs> these these guys sound unhinged. They're just singing like nursery rhyme type jingles about shooting people. And that is so much a part of why Cypress Hill works. They gave to so much of America and the world their very first concrete look, a very specific society and community and way of life that only existed in theory. And they did it in a very weird way that's really hard to ignore, really easy to get into. The hip-hop coming out of Southern California in the late 1980s had already more than addressed the social issues black and brown communities were dealing with at the time. Police brutality, gang violence, racial and economic inequality. They were top of mind and top of lyric for NWA and Ice-T and Too Short. And by the time Cypress Hill came around in 1991... It had all reached a tipping point. In March of that year, the LAPD was filmed beating an unarmed man named Rodney King during an arrest. That footage was covered by news media around the world and caused a very loud public outcry that was likewise covered around the world. Four officers were eventually tried on charges of use of excessive force, And in April of 1992, three of those officers were acquitted, and the jury failed to reach a verdict on one charge for the fourth. And within hours of that verdict, the L.A. riots had begun. Between the time that the video of Rodney King's beating was released and the time that the riots kicked off, Cypress Hill released their first album. And while the world watched L.A. and listened perhaps for the first time really listened to the artists that Dunbin knew this kind of thing was bound to happen sooner or later. Cypress Hill had to figure out how they'd tell their part of this larger story and what that part was. Cypress Hill, I think a lot of times you you listen to their music, you know, they, they talking directly to the streets, you know what I mean? And so their music may not be as overtly political as Public Enemy, but if you listen to them, you know, it's a lot of anti-police, that song Pigs is, is, is crazy if you listen to the lyrics. And so I think that they've also historically, if you listen to the lyrics, been anti-established, been anti-police, you know what I mean? Like expressing the reality. This was the beginning of Cypress Hill and their activism, which we'll discuss further on in this series. Cypress Hill's realities weren't everyone's reality. And you know what? I'm like, good. That's a good thing, I think. I don't want to live in a world where police brutality and racism and economic inequality are the norm. Okay, I do live in that world. I guess we all do. But what I'm saying is that I don't want to live in a world where everybody, all the time, feels like South Central L.A. during Rodney King times. That's too much. That's a lot. 
And to be fair, even in Rodney King times, there was still room for feelings other than rage. There have to be. And marginalized people, people who feel downtrodden, and I'll be totally frank, people of color, people who've always had to make the best of an America that treats us in a certain way. We've always had to find room for joy. And Cypress Hill's music found that spot that mixed social change, that mixed a thriving for justice with the best party you've ever been to. In the next three episodes of The Opus, we'll explore more of those Cypress Hill sweet spots. The spot where Sendog and Be Real's voices come together to form one of the most unique-sounding duos in all of music. The spot they've perfected between hip-hop and hard rock, where so many other people have failed. And the spot where you get high and say, fuck it. Let's party. We'll hear more from Rebel Diaz, from Hollywood Steve, from Joe Nicolo and Chris Schwartz from Rough House Records, and of course, more from Sendog and Be Real of Cypress Hill. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Jill Hopkins, and this has been The Opus. Consequence Podcast Network. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast.